Welcome to the weekly service message from the Crossbridge Church. Look for us on the web at www.crossbridgeny.org. Join us now as Pastor Nate Young delivers this week's message. Go ahead and open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 28. We're in our second week of this particular series in which we're exploring in some sense our our purpose statement that, that we say every week that we as a church exist to bring glory to God. Did I just blank? No. What? No, I'm just kidding. We as a church exist to bring glory to God by making gospel disciples and sharing the love of Christ with our community and our world. And last week, we talked about what it means to bring glory to God in the sense that we need to have a outward expression, outward declaration of an internal meditation upon who Christ is and, and who God is, what, what he has actually done for us, what his character has, is like in our internal meditation that ends up in an external declaration, an external proclamation of who God is and what he has done. So we've talked about what it means to be the people of God. We talked about that last week too, that the people of God have two different expressions, that right now at this moment, we are the church gathered that we as believers have come together, uh, and some of us in covenant relationship as members of the church to be the church gathered that puts the gospel on display in everything that we do. In, In this time that we're gathered, Christ and his gospel is the center of our connect classes, our preaching, the music, our prayers. He's the center of everything because he is the center of everything. And then after we leave this place, we become the church scattered. The Lord sends us out to our neighborhoods, our workplaces, all the different places that that we would live and, and go to be his ambassadors, his gospel representatives as the church scattered. So right now we're being the church gathered. In a few moments, we'll be the church scattered. And both of those we do for the glory of God. And one of the things that, that we stressed Uh, in the sermon last week is that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are the church, that you never stop being the church. The church is not a building, but it's a people. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you and I, we are the church, and we should be the church wherever we go. Now, in our purpose statement and in our text today, Matthew chapter 28, we're going to look at verses 18 through 20. We're going to talk even more specifically about who the people of God are, but who the, what the people of God are supposed to do. And if you're familiar with this particular text, you would know that there's a few words that describe what God commissioned his people to do, and that is simply to make disciples that we are to be disciples who make disciples. So here's the, here's the thesis statement for today. If we we're to sum up everything that I'm about to say, and, and even in some part what I've already said, here's, here's how I would sum it up. We are to be committed to glorifying God. And in fact, that's the only reasonable response to seeing who God is, that we would glorify him with our whole lives, but we are, to com- we are to be committed to glorifying God as the people of God because he is worthy to be glorified. 
As both the church gathered and the church scattered, we are to have an outward proclamation and an inward meditation of the gospel. This should lead to being a disciple who makes disciples of all nations. And in fact, the glory of God and the weight of this task should drive us to our knees in prayer. And we're going to talk about some of those in more detail today. I want to invite you at this time, if you're able, to stand with me for a reading from the Word of God, Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. Matthew 28, verse 18 says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a reading from the Word of God. You may be seated. Part of having an inward meditation upon God is in part being transfixed on the glory of Christ. Because in a very real way, when we see Christ in the Scriptures, we get to see God interact with His Word or with His world. And right away in this particular text, there are two words that in some sense capture my attention and hopefully they'll capture yours as well. It's the first two words of Jesus in this particular text. In verse 18, Jesus comes to them, and, and before we, we get to these two words, we need to set the stage for what's happening here. In the book of Matthew, there's a connection with this particular text, the fact that Jesus comes to them and speaks to them. If we look just a few verses above in chapter eight or 28, where does he come from? Jesus was dead. He was crucified for our sins. He was buried and was in the tomb for three days. But then at the beginning of verse or chapter 28, what we find is that he has been resurrected from the dead. Now, think about the disciples of Jesus. They go from thinking that their leader is dead in the grave, that everything that he promised is done and over with and will never come to completion because he died on the cross. To this moment in which Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead, and now he has come to them to give them instruction. And so the disciples have been on this roller coaster of emotions of sorts in which they watched their leader die, and now he is resurrected and he is standing before them. And this is what he says. These are the first two words he says to them, according to Matthew All authority. Now, it's easy to gloss over these particular words because all, as I've heard from Peter a couple of times this week, it, let, let me sure I get it right, Peter. All means all, and that's what all, that's all that all means. And so I, I can rush right past all and, and not contemplate what he means by all. And, and so here's, here's, how I've had to, here's how I've had to think about it. There is a drastic difference between how I use the word all and how Jesus uses the word all. And I think that's because in many ways I'm both limited in quantity and extent of the word all. There is a quantitative limit 
to the way in which I can use the word all, and there is a limit to the extent in which the way that I can use the word all. Here's the easiest way for me to put this. Of course, you know, here, here comes a food example, right? If you come to my house and I say to you, we, we have a delicious meal, and after the meal I say, let's eat all the ice cream. And I bring out one of those little Ben and Jerry's containers that's like, what are those now, like $42 for like a half ounce ice cream? And I say, let's eat all the ice cream. And you say, well, this is enough ice cream for me. I don't know what ice cream you're going to eat. If I bring out a quart of ice cream and I say, let's eat all the ice cream, depending on who the other person is between you and me, we can probably do it, right? I've eaten a whole quart of ice cream by myself. Anybody else? All right. Nope. I'm the only fat pig here today. All right. Great. Okay. Yes. There's a few of us. If I bring out the gallon tub of ice cream, you guys have seen this? You know they sell ice cream by the gallon? It's like one of the most beautifully American things that exists. It's just a bucket of ice cream. If I brought that out and I said, let's eat all the ice cream, we would give it our best effort, wouldn't we? We, we would try to eat all of it. But if you and I were trying to eat it by ourselves, we'd at least get sick. When I say, let's eat all the ice cream, I definitely don't mean all the ice cream in the world, right? Because I'm limited by the quantity that will fit in my stomach. But when Jesus Christ uses the word all, he is not limited by quantity. When he uses all, he means all. The other way in which I realize that I am I'm different than Christ in the way that he uses the word all, not just in quantity, but in extent. Because sometimes I'll say some, something like this. If I eat all the ice cream, then I probably should work out. And many people set um, New Year's resolutions where they say something like, I'm going to work out every day. I'm going to work out all the days in 2023. Now, I can't actually guarantee that I'll be able to work out, I'll go to the gym all the days of 2023 because I might get sick. I might get hurt. There, there might be outside circumstances that control whether or not I go all the days, every day. The truth is it's probably actually just my own weak resolution that would not allow me to go to the gym every day because the couch is often comfortable in the evening and Papa John still delivers to my house. But when God says all, when Jesus Christ says all, he is not limited by content, quantity. He is not limited by quantity or by extent. That means that when he says all, he means all now, and he means all forever. Now, what is the thing that he links to all? All authority. Now and forever. All the authority. What, and what does it mean to have authority? Now, authority is actually the subject of this sentence in Greek, and it's very important that we understand the authority of Christ, because the authority of Christ is constantly questioned 
uh, in his earthly ministry. If you just turn over a few pages in your Bible back to Matthew chapter 21, let's look at verses 23 through 27 together. Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 27 say this. And when he, Jesus, entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority, exact same word as verse 28, by what authority, or chapter 28, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, and I, I love Jesus for many reasons, but I love that he answers their question with a question. I'll ask you one question, he says, and if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Here's Jesus' question. The baptism of John, from where did it come from? From heaven or from man? Now, these guys discuss this among themselves, and they say, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, in the question, he answers his own question. Because if the authority comes from man, how would he be able to do these things? What are the these things that they're asking him that he's able to do? Right after the triumphal entry, do you remember what he does? He cleanses the temple. He heals blind and lame people. He causes a fig tree to wither. And he describes his authority and power this way in chapter 21, verses 21 and 22. Because the disciples see him speak and a, a fig tree withers in front of him. He has the authority and the power to make earthly tangible objects wither into nothing instantly. And the disciples are marveled by this in chapter 21, verse 20. And here's what Jesus says to them. This is the quantity and extent of the power of Jesus. He says, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only be able to do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. What does this mean? It means that the authority of Jesus has power over all things to the extent that the supernatural can happen under the authority of Jesus Christ. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that he has authority over all things to accomplish the will of the Father. And there is no power or authority great enough to stop the will of God from being accomplished. When we hear this, it might be hard for us to process this at first. So Christ, in this text, gives us two ways in which to understand what he means. He says, all authority has been given to me. Where has it been given to him? Or to what extent? In heaven and on earth. Now, to try to understand the authority of heaven, that almost seems incomprehensible to me. Because I've not seen heaven yet. I've read about heaven. I've never seen an angel, but I've read about them. 
I don't understand to a full degree what having authority in heaven means. But what I, what I think that Jesus is communicating here is that he's showing that he has power over the spiritual realm. Now, this is a very important distinction. If you turn with me just a few more pages again, back to Matthew chapter 26, verse 62. Because in claiming that he has all authority over heaven, he's claiming something in particular. In Matthew 26, starting in verse 62, this is his trial before uh, Caiaphas and the council. They ask him in verse 62, and, and before that, who he is. In verse 63, they say, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And in verse 64, look at Jesus' answer. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You, now, you have now heard this blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered him, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? What is Jesus claiming in Matthew 28? What is he claiming in Matthew 26 that his opponents hate so much? He's claiming to be God. You see, to have the power over all things, to accomplish the will of the Father, he must be God. That's the only way that he could have authority in heaven. He himself must be God because God would never let his glory be diminished by allowing a lesser being than himself have power over heaven. And so when he says, I have all authority in heaven, he's saying, I have that authority because I am God. And yet that still seems very difficult to get our brains around. How could he have this power? How could he have this power in heaven? And Jesus seems to make it a little bit more understandable for us by saying not only does he have power in heaven, but on earth. If you remember with me the Gospel of John, chapter 1, in the first five verses. John, chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, as God, Jesus as God, who has authority in heaven, also has authority over earth, because as John tells us here, he is the one that created the earth and everything in it. And so he has the power over it. God himself, Jesus Christ, created you and he created me and this world and universe that we currently dwell in. 
That's what gives him the right to give instruction to us as the one who has all authority, both in heaven and on earth, as God and the creator of the earth. But how far does the power of God extend? How far does the power of God go in accomplishing the will of God, the plan of God? All throughout time, all throughout history, even during this particular story, the opponents of God have constantly attempted to thwart the plans of God by their own power. If you have your finger in Matthew chapter 28, go back to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, look at verse 11. These men that had been guarding the tomb, some of them went into the city and they tell the chief priests what had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people. His disciples came by night and stole away, stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. At this particular moment, the leaders of Israel are attempting to block the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And hopefully, in some sense, you, you feel the weight of this, but you feel the other side of it, too. Because we live in a day and age in which the devil and his followers are attempting to block the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ with all the power and authority that they have. But friends, brothers and sisters, all authority belongs to Jesus Christ. The devil and his minions will never, under their authority, be able to block the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And friends, you need to feel the weight of this for what we're about to be told. Because we're not functioning in our own power when we do the will of God. When you are doing the will of God, you're doing the will of God and the power of God. And how far does the power of God go? All the way to all authority in heaven and in earth. Meaning there is no power above the power of Jesus Christ. We might ask one final question in verse 18. How did Jesus get this authority? God the Father gives the authority to God the Son who gives the authority to us to do what he has called us to do. In this command, all authority has been, or all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. We're about to find in verse 19 that we're going to be commissioned under this power. And so we, we must have this idea of all authority very sure in our minds when we think about what we've been commissioned to do. 
Authority is, is something that, that's very interesting uh, in many different areas of life. In our house, authority is oftentimes the, seen most often in one of two ways. In the morning, when everyone is getting ready. Um, we have two bathrooms in our house. I know that's kind of like a privileged thing in New York, but the main one is upstairs. That's the one that everybody wants to use. And oftentimes, one child will get into the bathroom, and they will lock the door, and they will stay in there for what feels like six hours. And everyone else is knocking on the door. I need to get in there. I need to get in there. And the one child will say, I'm almost finished. And then 45 minutes goes by, and I'm still almost finished. But then there, there's something that, that happens is that one child goes to the door and they say, Dad said it's time to get out now. Because what they understand is that there is one who has authority to turn off the hot water when they're in the shower. You see, that, that child's not going in their authority. They're going in Dad's authority. And typically when Dad says it's time to get out, you hear the shower shut off, the curtain open, and someone get out right away. Here's the other time that it happens. A kid will walk into the room where another kid is eating a cookie. And they'll say, where did you get that cookie? And they'll say, mom gave it to me. The kid doesn't ask the other kid if they can have the cookie. Who do they go find? They go find mom and say, mom, can I have a cookie? They go to the one who has the authority and the power to give the cookie. You see, this is where this passage starts to hit home for us. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, you have all authority and power to do what we are about to be called to do. And you have it from the one who gives all or has all authority and power. And, and listen to this closely. You don't need permission from anyone else to do what God has called you to do. You don't need permission from your boss, your family member, or anyone else to do what God has called you to do. Because right now, we are at what feels like an all-time high in which we're afraid to share the gospel in certain contexts, to be disciple-makers in certain contexts, because we feel like someone has authority over us. Brothers and sisters, the only one who has authority over us is Jesus Christ. And he is the one who has called us to make disciples. Do, do you feel empowered in this? You must know the God that you serve. You must know who Jesus Christ is. And in knowing him, you will be emboldened by where your power and authority comes from. And this is where Jesus makes the transition from talking about his authority and power in verse 19 to what he's called us to do. He says, therefore... Or in other words, since I have all power and authority over everything, here is what I want you to do. What does he say in verse 19? Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations. We cannot underscore the reality that we are sent by and in the authority of Christ. And what this means for you and I is that God has you where you are to fulfill this call to make disciples. That God is calling you to be a disciple maker in the context that you're in. Now, let me say this as as a side note. Our our Connect classes started back today. Uh, Many of our life groups are, are restarting soon. There's multiple different opportunities multiple different Bible studies for you to learn the Word of God. And so let me say it this way. You can't be a disciple maker if you don't know what a disciple is. And the only way that you can know what a disciple is is by knowing and living the Word of God. You cannot teach what you don't know. You must know the word to be able to fulfill God's purpose for your life. And so let me just restress the importance of gathering together as believers, of connect classes and life groups that are working together to help make you a more mature disciple. The church gathered helps to facilitate your, your fulfilling the call of Christ. It helps you become a disciple who makes disciples. It educates you on what a disciple is. It facilitates the disciple-making in your own life, but it also helps together us fulfill this next part, make disciples of all nations. The church helps facilitate this going to all nations. In the call to get the gospel to all nations, there are two roles. There are goers, people like Matt and Shrina who will go to the other side of the world to share the gospel, and then there's people like us who send them. The church sends and supports those who are willing to go. What then are we supposed to do? What does this text tell us then we are to do in this process of making disciples? It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. One of the first steps in making a disciple is to teach expecting a response. We make disciples by presenting the gospel And as they receive the gospel, we help each other obey the Lord, first in baptism. Now, oftentimes in this particular text, there's some confusion about the wording. Because in the text, go comes before make disciples. But in the grammar, make disciples is the imperative. Go, baptize, and teach is the how. Does that make sense? Make disciples is the main thing. And as you are going, teach, them, teach and baptize them. Teach them how. Again, let me say the church equips you. The church gathered equips you to do the work of the ministry by teaching you the word of God and holding you accountable to doing the will of God. And then you go and do the work of the ministry in spreading the gospel by knowing the gospel and living the gospel internally meditating on the the gospel, and outwardly declaring the gospel. But here's the second part of that, in teaching, expecting a response. We need to teach the Word of God with the expectation 
that will observe the teaching together. Observe in this particular context means to keep guard. And here's the idea, that as we learn the Word of God, we want to protect the teaching of the gospel and protect our lives from sin. So as we take up the call to go to war for the gospel and for our lives, we train other soldiers, we train other disciples to do the same. And then together we live and protect the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this by living in such a way that gives evidence of the gospel and is closely tied together with our lives so that we help each other know and live the gospel as well. You see, going to church, and I've said this already, is, is not something that we do, it's who we are. And so our lives need to be intertwined together in such a way that we help each other know the gospel and live the gospel, not when we're just here together, but when we're out there as the church scattered as well. But let me encourage you with these words, too, from the text. In this process of disciple-making, we have to be reminded that the triune God is with us and empowers us to do what he has called us to do. There's a, a phrase in the middle of verse 20 that should ring in our minds when we're thinking about who God is. It's these two little words, I am. I am, in Matthew, from the very beginning, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, reminds us, that God, the I am, is with us. This echoes all the way back to the book of Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14, and chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. That God himself came down and was born as a baby, united himself with humanity, and now is with us from now until the end of the age. That God, the I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses and David and Solomon, the God of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the same God that's with us now. You see, this is a reminder again of where the authority to do what we do comes from. It comes from the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, why is this important? Why would Christ end with this promise that he's with them even until the end of the age? I think this is the reason. As we continue to try to walk this path of being Christians, of being disciples, as we inwardly meditate on the gospel and outwardly proclaim the gospel, it can feel very lonely. Maybe you felt this in your workplace. Maybe you feel this in your home. You might feel like you are the only one striving to live the gospel. Can, can I confess something to you? There are often times, even as a pastor, that proclaiming the gospel to you week in and week out feels very lonely. 
not because of anything that you guys have done, but because as I am painfully aware of the world around us, those men who are willing to stand in the pulpit and declare the gospel week after week, that number seems to be decreasing at a rapid pace. Maybe you're even part of the church, connect teacher, life group leader, deacon, nursery worker, praise team member, any other servant of the church. And you, you struggle with feeling alone in the doing of the work of the ministry. If that is you, this passage cries out hope to you because it tells us that you are never alone, that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, has promised to be with us, to be with you all the way till the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, you are never alone. You are never fighting the fight of the gospel alone. You are not alone. Jesus Christ is with you, and he doesn't send you to do his will alone. He is with you. Now, if we start to see this all authority of God in this declaration of Jesus Christ and the weight of the task that he's called us to, and hopefully you felt the weight of it, it's our job to see that the gospel goes to all nations. Do you know how many people live on the earth currently? It's like billions. That, that number doesn't even make sense in my mind, billions. And the church is supposed to see that the gospel gets communicated to every nation that those billions of people belong to. And I can't even begin to fathom how that's going to happen. I can't even begin to comprehend how we're even going to be able to do that. And, and at the same time, I see the glorious nature of Christ and that he has all authority over all things in heaven and earth. And he has said that the gospel is to go to all nations. You see, we should be so overwhelmed with the truth that the most glorious being who has authority over everything has chosen us to carry out his plan. And, and if I think about what it means to make disciples of all nations, it can become almost even personally overwhelming. Because I think all of us have at least one person in our life who doesn't want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. They don't want to follow after him. And how, how do I fulfill this call to make disciples of all nations when I'm having a hard time making a disciple of someone who lives near me? Every week or every other week, we pray for an unreached people group in our mission spotlight. And as I, I think about the global call of the gospel to see the gospel go around the world, it's hard for me to imagine that there are millions and millions and millions of people around the world right now who have never even heard the name Jesus. They've never even heard it. 
And so personally, the process of making disciples can be overwhelming. Globally, the process of making disciples can also seem overwhelming. But here's what I know, that Jesus Christ really does have power over all things, authority over all things. And I know that I can go to him in prayer at any moment and that he hears my requests and that he will answer them. And so when I feel overwhelmed with the weight of this disciple-making task, I should immediately fall to my knees in prayer. And I want to challenge you over this next week to pray these specific three things out of this text with this call to make disciples in mind. I want you to pray three things over this next week. One, that you would personally strive to make disciples in your own life. That whoever you can have influence on at this particular point, whether that's sharing the gospel with them or someone who is already saved, that you can encourage in knowing the gospel, that you would be a, a personally be a disciple maker. And, and husbands, can I, can I talk to you for a second? This charge to make disciples is one that's been given specifically to us to make disciples in our own home. And we can look around the world and see all these problems that are happening around us, all these difficulties, and it can be overwhelming. But my challenge to you, husbands and, and fathers, is to worry about making disciples in your own home first. That you would take up the mantle to be the one who leads in your home to be a disciple maker in your own home. This means reading the Bible and praying consistently with your wife and your children. That if you're not a husband or a father yet, that you would already be praying that God would allow you to be the kind of biblical leader that he's called you to be. So first, pray that you would personally make disciples. Number two, that you would be our church. You would, you would pray for our church to be a disciple-making church. And in both of these, and we're actually in all three of these, we need to pray, but we need to also take action. So as a personal disciple-maker, share the gospel or read the scriptures and pray with, with a person you're attempting to make a disciple. Number two is you pray for our church to be a disciple-making church. Yes, pray, but also engage in being a disciple. Engage with a life group or a connect class. Make sure on Saturday evening you're preparing to be here, gathered with the saints here at Crossbridge. So here, here's the third. First is personal disciple-maker. Second, our church would be a disciple-making church, and you would be engaged in that process. And three that we would be striving to make disciples globally. We, we have four missionary families that we support on purpose, and that's so that we can focus as much of our resources, our time and attention on them. And two of our missionary families are from this church. They were sent out by this church. We should be praying for them. You should be praying for them on a weekly or even daily basis. And we still are looking for others to join a rope-holding team. 
the rope holding teams are how our church specifically spends its times and resources to encourage our missionaries on the field. We, we hold the rope for them as they go down into the work of the ministry. But also, let me encourage you to consider in this new year giving towards missions. Every dollar that, that you give to the church for the purpose of missions goes directly to our missionaries. And we want to support them spiritually, but we also want to support them financially. So this week, I'm encouraging you to pray three things. One, that you would be a personal disciple maker. Two, that our church would be a disciple-making church. And three, that our church would continually be involved in making disciples around the world. But let me close with this. Friend, if, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're a disciple of something, but it's not Jesus Christ. The world around us is attempting to make you a disciple of some particular teaching or pattern of thinking. They're trying to train you to be a disciple of something. And whatever that thing is that the world is offering you, when the end of time comes, it can't save you. And in fact, it, it doesn't even offer you a good life now. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, repent of your sins and turn to God, he will make you into a disciple that has the best possible life you can have on this earth and will save you in the life to come. And so let me just say with, plead with you if you're here today or you're watching online that Today is the day in which you need to consider and become a disciple of Jesus Christ, that we would be happy to walk with you as you're made into a disciple of Jesus Christ. But the process of becoming a disciple starts with you recognizing that you're a sinner, confessing your sin, and believing in Jesus Christ for your salvation. And in doing so, you become a disciple of Jesus Christ who continually grows more and more as a disciple of Christ. We're going to have a time of prayer in just a moment. Church family, I want to invite you to start praying these three things now. But friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ, this is also an opportunity for you to pray and, and receive him as your Savior and become his disciple. Will you join with me in prayer now? Lord, we are so thankful that we get to worship a God who isn't powerless, who doesn't have any authority, but instead we get to worship a God who has all authority in heaven and earth. Lord, help this truth to give us a boldness today and even the rest of this week to share the gospel with the understanding that you've given us the authority to do so. You've commissioned us to do so. Lord, help us to strive to be better disciples, to be better followers of you this week. Help us to dig into your word, to understand you more and more, and to pursue after you in prayer. Lord, help us individually and corporately as your church to be disciple makers, and help us corporately to help the gospel, to support our missionaries, to see the gospel go around the world. Lord, we know that the devil in this world wants to resist the gospel, wants to resist the truth about the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. But Lord, give us boldness to stand for the truth, that in the face of opposition, we would be bold and empowered like never before to see your gospel go forward. Lord, I, I ask, it is only you who can save. It is only by the power of your spirit that sinners are convicted of sin and will repent and turn to you. And so today I am asking that by the power of your spirit, if there's anyone listening online or is present today that doesn't know you, that you would convict their hearts, that they would know that one day the God of all authority will hold us all accountable for the way in which we lived and what we've done with the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. And if they've not turned from their sins, if they've not repented to you, there'll be an eternal punishment that awaits them. But in you, they can have assurance of eternal life, that if they turn to you and repent of your sins and become your disciple, that you will save them from the punishment to come. Lord, may they know the weight of their sin today. May they know who you are and repent and turn to you. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please feel free to share this message, but remember, don't charge for it or change it. The Lord's message should be free and for everyone.